Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and once again, having to socially distance, uh, coming through live via Skype is Roy. You know, I feel a little bit better, though, because I actually just got to watch Padres baseball on my television. That was freaking awesome. Um, it was so cool. It was really cool. And we are going to be talking to Scott Brocious later from a co-founder of Advocates for Minor Leaguers. It's a really cool interview. Uh, and he also played uh, college ball with Jace Tingler. So he has a little bit of Jace Tingler uh, input and insight. Um, but, yeah, that was really cool to, to watch uh, to watch it live actual baseball and and having the Padres play the Padres a the Padres won but also I got to see a, more Padres play baseball like you know you got to see your Taylor Trammells you got to see you know Tuki Pino Marcano uh, getting that bat and um, I got to see Tommy Pham hit a home run to my season ticket seat <laughs> it landed like right in your seat I mean literally it was it was it literally went to my seat it was the second seat from the from the net right there by the bullpen in the third row you know, and you, but you don't bring a glove to the game, so I do. It might have knocked off your noggin. <laughs> no, no, you do? I, I bring a glove. I bring my old Tony Gwynn glove that I got when I was like ten years old. So I would have caught that ball. Oh. That that, sh- that should have been my home run ball. I've never caught a home run ball, and that would have been the one. You know, it was good to but see. Uh, I never saw Zach Davies. Well, and then he hit a double. So Fam is in midseason form, which is well, and he also he had a relay in from left field. And I, I don't remember who the batter was, but it was a line drive off the base of the wall. And he had to turn around and fire it in real quick. Um, and so that's the first time I've seen him test his arm. Yeah. Because spring training, I don't think we even got to see him play in the field. Like he was just about to start playing in the field. Right. right just and got then clear. everything got shut down. So then with all the downtime, he's supposedly 100% healthy, you know, no limitations, but you kind of want to see him air it out. So he got to air it out today. You know, but yeah, Zach Davies, he's an interesting pitcher because he doesn't have a lot of velocity. He's got that changeup that really has a lot of arm side run. Yeah. Uh, it baffled Austin Hedges, but then again, everything baffles Austin Hedges. Hey, he hit a double. Did he? Okay, yeah, good he, for him. He hit a double early in the game off a, off a hanging slider, a hanging curveball from, I think that might have been a cookie. <laughs> Garrett Richards might have given him a cookie there. Um, but he went off the wall. That was kind of good. And Dude, Richards, that off-speed stuff plays. I mean, he is mm-hmm. he's it, when he's on, he's going to be filthy because he has the slider and the you know upper nineties fastball with with a curveball that just you're like it's knee buckling. Yeah, he hung a couple of them, but I mean that's what spring training's for yeah. is to figure out you know get a feel for all your pitches and figure out how to avoid the center of the strike zone. Yeah. Hey, I hear you have a new roommate. I do. We got uh, so those of you that were keeping score. We we're down two cats. Both our cats. A few years ago, we went to uh, clear the shelters, and we got Kiki and Riri, and they were supposed to be uh, brothers or supposed to be sisters. One was actually a mother. It got sick, and we took it into the vet, and they're like, "Yeah, how old is she?" Well, we were told she was six. They're like, "No, she's got cataract. She's more like 16. Um, and then she uh, passed away. And, uh, and then a few, uh, like another year later, um, you know, another healthy cat, the same cat, we're supposed to be six years old, um, got sick and died. And uh, so we went back today uh, and through the process, through the San Diego Humane Society, plug for the San Diego Humane Society, we went and got um, Chubba, Chubbatha, uh, Princess of Porkchopia, or Chubba the Cat, or Chubbles, or Austin Hedges. Um, she is an enormous cat. She's a very... Big cat, and uh, she's right now. <laughs> she, her box is in this office here in the in the in the Jones Studio here. Um, it's a um, ragdoll cat, so she's fluffy and cute and fun, and uh, we're cat people. All we right, love, we love it. Well, congratulations on the addition to the family. Uh, so it's it's good to have a cat, and uh, and, and it follows me like you like, and it'll follow you. It's not like the cat kind of listens, not like other cats where it's like, screw you, just feed me. It's, just give me some food. Um, but this last Sunday. <laughs> she hasn't gotten comfortable with you yet. <laughs> um, but this last Sunday, dude, I went and watched the game uh, where Joey Cantillo, well, actually, Ryan Weather started against Chris Paddock. Yeah, you sat on the grassy knoll. So I, right. <laughs> uh, the grassy knoll. Gallagher Park. What is Gallagher Park, anyway? Let's just before we start there, is it. I think that's where the guy with the long hair um, takes the mallet and smashes the watermelons. Right. But he didn't. He's not sponsoring our park at the park, right? Is it Gallagher some kind of company or something? I believe Gallagher's an insurance agency. Yeah, okay. 
All right. It's some kind of a of a yeah. It's a marketing thing. That's fine. They found a title sponsor for the park, so no longer park at the park. It's now Gallagher Square. And we were kind of expecting that to happen sooner or later, just as long as they don't call it like I don't know, Bud Seelig. Bud Seelig Park. park. <laughs> oh my. God. Well, um, so I went to that game on Sunday, and and I see Paddock warming up. I'm like God, I, I thought Joey Cantillo and Ryan. You know, I thought they were gonna pitch against each other. It uh, turns out it was Paddock against Ryan Weathers. And, dude, Weathers dealt. Like, he, he looks, doesn't care. You know, he told us earlier he lost 20 pounds. He lost 20 pounds, and he looks thin, and he was throwing BBs. Now, it, it took me a minute, and I did realize it until, like, this morning, when uh, when you sit on the grass, you know, you can't see any of the velos anywhere. But they do. I kept seeing uh, Scanlon, Bob Scanlon and uh, Kevin Acey go over to the right-hand corner, which is kind of like the right field of the the park at the park the true park at the park they kept looking over to the left and i'm like what the hell are they doing why is there better reception over there are there like better wi-fi it just came to me like i think they were showing the velo uh and that left right it's right right down the right field line right next to the flags over there the top 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 300 section I yeah, think, that new screen, that new video board they put up a couple years well, ago. I don't think there. I think it's the very top, right where the foul pole is, right at the very top of the foul pole. It's right on the base of the 300s there in right field. Um, I think okay. that's what they were looking for, velos, because I couldn't find velos. And earlier, later on, you know, Scanlon said that, uh, that Weathers was hitting 94-97. Yeah. And holy holy cow, you know, that's, that's some velo. Well, and, the kid's been putting in work. He told us about all the work he's been putting yeah. in. And so there's the fruits of his labor right there. Absolutely. And he had a couple of change-ups, a couple of curveballs that were nasty. I mean, he was nasty. It wasn't just, you know, he just wasn't relying on the fastball to get guys out. He got a lot of weak contact. He uh, A couple of those pitches just had just, just filthy. And, uh, you know, everyone in the minor league, you know, that whole minor league game was, was stacked full of, full of guys that we've had on the podcast and that we followed. Took a Peter Marcano. Um Ryan Weathers, Joey Cantillo, God, I'm losing my mind now. Um, you know, Camposano looked really well too. He looked, everyone looked comfortable at the plate. Even Hudson Head, uh, you know, looked comfortable at the plate. You know, you can only t- you can only take so much when you're so far away. But you know, I didn't see poor swings. I didn't see, um, I just didn't see guys overmatched, and and that says a lot. And you know, you if you listen to any of the Zoom stuff that 97.3 the fan put out, they asked him, and you know. Austin Hedges, Jace Tingler all said, like, those guys are playing like they belong. I think Hedges was like, I don't know what, you know, when I was 20 years old, I wasn't that good. And um, I, I wasn't acting like I belonged at 20 years old. And then these kids are around, you know, eight, nine, you know, Manny Machados and Eric Cosmers and, you know, true, ma- you know, major league stars. And that was kind of cool. Yeah, that where uh, Ryan Weathers was was talking about having a little bit of, uh, of of he was he was awestruck for a moment, like, oh, my gosh, I'm pitching against Manny Machado. And then here we go, and he's busting him with fastballs up under his hands. I I love it. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, the kid's not he's not afraid. He has no fear. No, and you know, and I I think if I can remember from our episode with him, he did have kind of a little bit of chip. He has a little bit of chip on his shoulder because because of the loss of the velo, and you know, he didn't have the season that he wanted, and he worked hard, lost the weight. You know, he got the velo back even more so, and um, it's gonna play. And you know, he's still a couple years away, at least. A year or two, you know, obviously you're going to have to go through next year, 2021, but I wouldn't be surprised in 2022, even maybe a cup of coffee, depending on how things fly. Um, he's up sooner rather than later if he continues to grow like that. You know, it makes me wonder what, you know, it's a lost year of development. So if you give him a full season, you probably would have started at Lake Elsinore. Right. A good first half moves him up to double A, and then you're right on the doorstep of right. making your debut. Yeah. Um, so they're missing out on that opportunity this year. It's it's fortunate for him that the Padres have been so willing to have so many prospects in this camp uh, when a lot of other teams are really reserving it for MLB level guys, like pretty much only uh, the Padres have well over a dozen guys and at least a half dozen of them. Realistically, they're not going to play right. in a game, right? The The intent is not to have them in a game. The intent is there to have them get some reps so they can see some, you know, they can see some, some, major league pitching and see you track fly balls and base running scenarios and stuff that you you can't train for that stuff in a batting cage 
No, you can't. And you can only learn, you know, obviously with the reps in minor league, in a minor league season, you get that. But you're getting major league, major league instruction with major league players on major league time. So even after the season starts and they go off to Lake Elsinore and start, um, you know, and start just being on that taxi squad, they're going to still see very high uh, level quality of play and high instruction. Um, you know what I noticed about tonight's game, and I forgot to mention this, was uh, Pete Zamora was, was calling balls and strikes. I couldn't see who was doing it the other day on Sunday, but then, you know, you see it on the video game. I'm like, that's Sambo. Hell yeah. And to watch him, like, you know, that third strike call is like, yeah, he did the old chainsaw, pull the string move. Pull the string. Um, you know, and then last night was, you no know, Monday, they played at USD. And thank God the Padres gave the you know Jeff Sanders and I think uh, Kevin Acey and those guys a little uh, some numbers. You know Austin Hedges went three for three. Myers hit two home runs. Tucapita went two for three. He hit a bomb. So yeah, and Tucapita Marcano isn't supposed to have power, right? So right, maybe he's growing into some power. You know, and I just got you know you can only see so much from so far away. And I'm only going to see one at bat. He looks good at the plate. I still think he needs. He's a long way away, obviously, but he needs to put on a little more weight. But once again, he belongs. He, you know, he hit Garrett Richards tonight. He didn't get a didn't get a hit, but you know, he he looked like he's uh, he like he belonged. So going mm-hmm. on real quick, go back to uh, you know the game on Sunday. Then after you know later on, Joey Cantillo, the Hawaiian punch out, uh, made his. This is I think both their debuts in an inter, inter- squad game. Doing he looked really well. Um, the velo that. That was, uh, we were told it was 91, and that came from Scan. I think he saw one below from him, but mm-hmm. he also looked nasty. The changeup looked major league. It looked filthy. Uh, got Grisham to strike out, and I think he struck out Mejia as well. Um, he looked really well. And Cantillo were, was going to start in Lake Elsinore. You know, a friend of the podcast was going to start in Lake Elsinore and maybe even once again push for a, for a second half push to a. To Amarillo, which I'm not quite sure, with, you know, with with Joey, but he would have had a full season in Lake Elsinore, and he looks like he belongs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, at the very least, he's going to be, you know, out there getting his reps in, which is a lot more than a lot of these other guys can say. So yeah. good for them. And then Hassel. And what an outfield. awesome experience! Yeah. Was Hassel in the outfield today? Did is that what I saw? I, I didn't. I did. We we did the interview during the game, and then I just watched the last inning and a half. Got four and a half innings. Why would you do that to us? Come on. It's like teasing us. <laughs> it is a tease. Hey, but we got to listen to Mudcat and Don. Oh, they, they made it sound so seamless. Well, and they, what I was about, so they were talking about how they have to prepare for how the road games are going to be right. because they're not traveling with the team. Right. They're at um, there's there's going to be one feed that the home and the away uh, broadcasters both have to work off of. So they've got all these monitors up there in the in the broadcast booth. And so it sounds like they're still going to go down to Petco Park when the team's on the road and do the sh- do the game from there. Yeah. But they're going to have to be watching the monitors where they're so used to watching the field. So like a fly ball, you know, us as fans, when a fly ball goes up, we're watching the ball. Right. But the broadcasters, they learn they're instructed to watch the fielders because the fielders are going to be the ones that tell you how, how deep that ball's how- really hit. Right. Because when you're standing there in the in the press box. It could be a pop fly, and it looks like it's a warning track shot. Yeah. Well, and then you're sitting down in the stands, and you see a pop fly. Everyone goes, oh, and it's a can of corn. <laughs> it's a can of corn right. in the outfield. Right. But, they, but they can't do that if they're on the road. So they've got that. I guess they have a, a high, wide view where they can see all nine players. Yeah. I, I I find that that kind of stuff interesting, just learning you know the, the little tricks behind what they do. And it it, they have to change what they do because of – because of the rules. So Teddy and then Jesse Agler, are they going to stay at Petco as well? Or are they going to do the radio from the stadium? From they are they are staying in San Diego. So I believe the radio wow. guys the radio guys have the uh, the option to travel, but San Diego said that they're going to keep their guys at home. Good, because Uncle Teddy's a treasure, and we don't need that guy getting around any uh, anything other than Petco Park, where they right. You can see them on the you can see all the players in the uh, in the dugout. They're Pretty much staying different, you know. They're playing distanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them wearing masks. Um, I noticed Ben Frist, the bullpen coach, he was wearing a mask when uh, Matt Strom was out there warming up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the Larry kind of Rothschild cool about, had a mask on. Yeah, and the kind of cool thing is you saw Myers sitting within view of the TV, and then Kirby, like they had another shot of Kirby, and he wasn't even in gear; he was just in street clothes. Uh huh. That's kind of funny. They, that's kind of the funny. They had to comment. 
They had to comment on Myers' lettuce. Right. <laughs> At least it's the same color as the rest of his hair now. Right. You know, let's not, let's, yeah, let's stay neutral on the. <laughs> so you came over today, dude. Uh, you came over this week uh, to pass off the gear mm-hmm. and you saw our new windows. Would you? Yes. Those are sweet windows, man. They, they are clear windows. I can see through them. They look, look. <laughs> they look very nice. Uh, so you guys, uh, 360 windows and doors. Check them out. Uh, Zach and his team. They came in. Did they? They within five hours. They replaced three large windows and two smaller windows, and they were done before four o'clock. And they got there at like ten. Um, great financing. We took the no interest for six months option. We don't make a lot of money. So you mentioned fires in the farm. You get ten percent off. Uh, they're clean. They're safe. Uh, they were, I was really impressed on, like, I'm really a stickler for, like, keeping things clean. Are there any clippings or is there any dirt or is there anything like that laying around? Every window seal, every area around every window was absolutely clean. Uh, give Zach a call at 619-331-5246, and, and they'll, they'll hook you guys up. And they do commercial. They do remodels. They'll do uh, construction. I, I saw, if you follow them on Instagram at 360 Windows and Doors, they had a video of a 2,000-pound piece of glass that they got from Italy. And it took like eight suction cups and a crane to get this thing into, into position. Um, you know, And they still had, took the time to come and do our stinky little condo. Now, the benefit for you isn't – the windows are about the same size as what you had before. Absolutely. But it's the insulation, the sound, and also yeah. the, the temperature insulation. Yeah, we got dual-pane windows, and it's 90 – what do you say? 96.5%. They show me in the demo, but it cuts noise out to almost absolute silence. But more than anything, it's the energy. Like our windows were single-pane. You know, you turn the air conditioner on. It takes a long time for it to cool down or heat up. Uh, with these windows, it keeps all that energy inside and also doesn't heat up the house. It it takes out all the heat from the windows because uh, they're dual pane and they're, they're special windows. Excellent job. Uh, you know, if, you know, whenever you guys get a chance, give them a call. 612-3. Oh, that's Travis. Sorry about that. Um, 619-331-5246. Mention Friars on the Farm. Hey, Donovan, our Friars on the Farm, or if you remember Roy. They'll give you ten percent off, and for us, nobody remembers me, right? But that was about five hundred bucks off our, you know, because we got him from the neighbor down the way. Okay, and he pulled the numbers up. He said this would it cost. Hey, but since you're friends with your neighbor, which we really weren't, um, but he said it anyway. He took off ten percent, and that was, you know, five hundred bucks is five hundred bucks. Um, oh yeah, really good job. Also, you guys, Doctor Travis, even though through the COVID, he is still seeing patients. Uh, sports chiropractic, he's taking appointments, very safe, taking all precautions. Anything he's doing, he's doing with mask on and gloves. So it's all very safe. But you can give him a call at 612-327-0809. Um, or you can visit him on his website, yeah. drtravisehealers.com. That's T-R-A-V-I-S-E-H-L-E-R-S.com. All right, let's get to our Gary Brocious interview, man. It was really cool. Advocates for Minor Leaguers is a coalition of current and former players, wives and partners, families and fans rallying behind a common mission, providing a voice for minor league players and improving working conditions. Welcome to Fires on the Farm, Garrett. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're a hot ticket. You know, we were just talking before you came on um, in our little thread on Twitter. Everyone's like, ah, man, I got him him lined up and I tied him on my show the other day. So you're a hot ticket. We're very honored to have you on here. And being a minor league podcast, uh, we're stoked. Yeah, a hot ticket. I, I didn't, I've never been described like that. This is taking me like back to junior high dance type of thing. What were you like, Snowball King or something like? That? <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was the shy guy that was that was just sitting on the sidelines all the time at that point. But yeah. All right. Well, let's. Start, so what? You know, you we were talking before. Three days after you finished your minor league career, you took the LSAT. Um, were you? practicing for law before that were you reading any books or were you just are you just really really smart so i've told lots of people this that that's not the best way to study for the lsat so yeah my last year of playing this is over a decade ago this is 2009 my last year um and you know it became pretty apparent that i wasn't going to make it to the major league i needed to do something else in my life 
And so, yeah, at that time, Borders was still around. You know, rest in peace to that book, bookstore chain. And I went to Borders, and I picked up a couple books on how to study for the LSAT. And um, on those long bus rides, um, I'd crack them open, usually after the movies uh, had ended, and it was 2 a.m., and everybody else is asleep. And here I am taking practice tests for the, for the LSAT, which was not the best studying routine. But... Um, yeah, and then of course we made it to the the playoffs that that year too, and made it to the championship uh, round of the playoffs, and so the the season lasted forever. And then I had like zero time then between the end of the season and the time when the LSAT was taken. But yeah, so I, were, were you secretly good. hoping for the season to end a little bit early to give you a little bit extra time? <laughs> no comment. Um, well, and and you know, <laughs> guys, we're asking the hard questions, and here we are. Dude, we're going to start talking about this in a minute, but like. You know, riding on those buses is not exactly comfortable, so you're not probably really able to sleep that well. So, might as well make good use of your time instead of playing video games, studying to be a lawyer. Um, yeah, I am. My wife asks me this all the time because I'm a light sleeper. She's like, "How did you ever sleep on those things?" I'm like, "Well, I, I didn't really. I just rolled around all the time, then complain about." <laughs> oh my god! So then you get out, you take the LSAT, and how did so? Did you practice law for a while there, or did you go right into advocates for minor league? How did, how did that kind of work out? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I went to law school, and, you know, at the same time, just uh, kept thinking about issues that I'd already been thinking about as a player. Um, you know, my last my last couple of years of playing, I, I wrote a blog first for the Sporting News and then for Baseball America about life in the minors, and because, you know, in my six years in the minor leagues, um things just never seemed quite right. And I, I never was you know, willing to accept the status quo just because it was the status quo. And I started asking questions. Uh, why, you know, why would, why were uh, starting salaries? Well, at that time it was eight fifty per month was the starting salaries. And why were we only getting $20 per day and, and meal money? And, and part of that going to clubhouse dues when, whenever I was in college, I was getting $35 a day. You know, so in many ways, it was a step down, and it just didn't make sense at all. And so, you know, I kept thinking about these things, talk, kept uh, talking about these things. And uh, after law school, I, I got on with a terrific fir firm here in St. Louis called uh, Corine Tillery that does complex litigation. You know, that's that's what they do. Big big cases, uh, often novel cases, never been done before. And um, you know, we some some players wanted to to challenge the the minor league wage scheme, and so we ended up bringing a case. Uh, on behalf of minor league players, uh, saying that, hey, MLB, um, you're employing these guys. And just like Walmart and McDonald's comply with minimum wage laws, you need to be complying with minimum wage laws, too. Um, that has now been going on for six years, wow. which is easy to think about, but it's still ongoing. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, in the past few months, um, another group of us, you know, outside of my, my firm, um, we, you know, we've, we've been looking for a while for another way to push things along and to step in the end of the void of there not being any collective voice for minor league players because there's no union for minor league players, no representation at all. And so, you know, eventually we decided to uh, start advocates for minor leaguers. Well, and that's, it's been going on for six years. That's kind of what MLB can do, right? They're so wealthy. They have, they really do have the power and, you know, you're just a small firm with a small, uh, you know, with a small chair, not, not a small firm. Um, they could drag that on forever and just kind of win by attrition. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, you know, unfortunately how the judicial system works, you know, like, especially with, with new stuff, uh, nothing happens overnight. And you know, we got wrapped up in, appeal, in an appeal and appeals always take a while. Um, and we ended up winning our appeal last fall. Uh, and now they're trying to appeal it to, to, the, to the Supreme Court, and, and we're fighting that at this point. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've spent over three years now just, just on our appeal, which is, you know, it's, it's driving me nuts. I'm ready to get back to the trial court. I want to push this thing along. And, uh, you know, we want, we want to try to, uh, to uh, get some justice for these guys and, uh, you know, see what happens finally at the trial court. Absolutely. So the lack of representation is something that, that – that has all has intrigued me ever since I learned about it, that you've got the major league baseball players association, but they only represent the players that are on the, on the 40 man rosters, but yet they're making policy decisions or they're, they're negotiating policy decisions that affect the minor leaguers. 
I've, I've, you, you would think that people would look back and take care of those that are coming up behind them, but it seems like an afterthought. Yeah, so I'll give you two things there. Um, one, you're exactly right. And in fact, I wrote like 50 pages on this on an article that I wrote um, in law school that, that ended up being published. Um, and you know, I, really, I went back and I looked at every single collective bargaining agreement since the very first one in 1968. And this, it didn't always happen this way. It really wasn't until uh, late 90s, early 2000s that you started seeing more trickle-down effects uh, for minor league players in the collective bargaining agreements. Um, now, in the, play, in, the, in the defense of the Major League Baseball Players Association, you know, what they would say, and there's some truth to this, you know, especially when it comes to something like the draft, if it wasn't for the MLBPA, the owners could do whatever the hell they wanted to anyway. Right. And so, you know, this year, for instance, they cut the draft to five rounds, which was atrocious. It should never happen. We should be opening the, ga- opening the gates of the game, making the, the game grow better, uh, making it easier to enter the, enter the game, not more difficult. Uh, but, yeah, they cut, they cut the draft to five rounds this year, and uh, MLBPA, uh, you know, signed off on that. But, you know, without the MLBPA, they could have done that anyway, the owners. Right. And so at least the Players Association provides some protection. But, the, you know, they are in a very tough spot because, yes, this is not their constituency. And so, you know, they would rather there be another entity to look after the minor league guys so that they didn't feel any responsibility at all for it. Well, and not having that rep- represent, you know, it's, it's very much business-like. Like, let's get free labor and the best of them we can make money on. All the ones in between, all the ha- you know, all these other players can just go by the wayside and we'll just take the cream of the crop and we'll give them the least amount of not protection, but the least amount of, you know, the, the least possibility to succeed. You know, you're not giving them comfortable living conditions. You're not giving them a livable wage. Uh, these minor league teams that have, you know, they scrape by with nickels and dimes and really, you know, need the gates to just make ends meet. Um are feeding these guys, and I've been in a, you've been in a minor league clubhouse, I've been in a minor league clubhouse, they're doing the best they can, but it's not food that you want to be feeding, it's not the environment you want your elite athletes to develop and train in, and it's also not a place where your, your, your investments are. Yeah, no, and that's the player development argument part of it. Put aside the legal argument, right. put aside the, the you know, social justice argument, and just think about the player development argument. You know, if you feed these guys better, if you provide them with a livable salary, then they will develop better as players because they are able to, to train harder whenever your, your body is fueled properly and uh, develop more strength. And two, during the off seasons and, and uh, you know, even during the season, they have better access to elite training too, right. because let's face it, you know, in today's game, you know, gone are the days of staying mutual where you take four <laughs> months off in the off season. You know, that, right. that, that's that's way out the window. These guys for the entire winter are training their tails off. And those players who can afford that elite training, you know, if you're lucky enough to be uh, from a more privileged background or if you're lucky enough to be a first rounder, then you have a real advantage there. Right. And so, yeah, what teams should recognize is if they paid these guys a livable salary where everybody could afford that elite training and, you know, Guys didn't have to get second and third jobs during the offseason where they got proper rest then, too. Well, yeah, your players are going to develop better then. Also, a lot of those guys are working pretty tough jobs where there's a big chance of getting injured. You know, working for UPS, driving for Uber, uh, you know, working in the grocery stores where they're busting their ass just to make ends meet. And then maybe they can afford a gym membership. I mean, and the money that, that, that Major League has to pay these guys maybe even in the offseason is so minimal like here's your gym per diem here's your along with your player you know your player plan here's you know your monthly stipend for cash and it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars a month or whatever it can be just a little bit that can help them kind of get through the season you know get through the offseason yeah we aren't talking about huge sums of money here i you know right now the the majority of guys are making you know, less than $10,000 and probably less than $7,500 for an entire year. Well, the poverty level in the United States right now is $15,000. So just bring them up to fifteen grand at least up to the poverty level. Yeah. Like you could, you could do that for probably, you know, around a, a million dollars uh, per, per major league team. So, I mean, you're telling me that the, 
that each major league team can't afford, you know, one million more dollars for their for the for their couple hundred minor league players that they have. The future of our game. So, so when you work with these uh, with the players, are you going through the organization? Are you going through the affiliates? Or are you just you know reaching out to individuals individually? Yeah. So our our group we're a we're a nonprofit that is geared towards the minor league players themselves, and um, and there's really two components to it. The first part is getting the players underneath our, our umbrella, and so you know our outreach program is is. Uh, you know, making players aware of us and realizing that we're there to provide that collective voice and to speak for them in a way that they as individuals very often can't speak um, and and to start advocating for them. You know, right now, a uh, huge issue is, uh, you know, whether they're going to be continued to be paid the $400 per week uh, stipend that, that they're currently being paid. Uh, it's not a huge money, huge amount of money, but for a minor league player, it is a, a big deal. And uh, it allows them to actually pay rent and pay their cell phone bills and make a car payment instead of their car being repoed. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that 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 we're we're really focusing on right now. But then the other part of it that we will develop in the future and that we can develop now because you know obviously there's no minor league system right. uh, is down the road we will have a fan component because you know everybody should have a place in this everybody should have a role and be able to be an advocate if they want to because we have people reaching out to us asking you know what can we do and so down the road we'd love to have essentially local chapters uh, of, of people who are passionate about the minor leagues want to help out in some way and want to find a way to, to help speak out on behalf of these players yeah and you don't you know Mike from adopt a minor league uh, player, reached out to us early and he was super early. So I'm like, who are you? And what are you asking us for? I don't, you know, we don't know you. And, you know, DM back, Hey, I'm Mike. And this is what I'm doing. And, you know, he's just, they just sponsored their fifth hundred player. And this is a guy in Minnesota and has blown up. And, and along with, uh, um, along with the advocates for minor leaguers, um, these, we've had to do it from a fan base perspective. And, it's insane that we have to do that. It's great that it gets done, and it's so fun watching him tweet out, okay, I got a Mets guy. Where are you, Mets fans? And then, like, in half an hour later, it's like, all right, we're good. He's done. You know, um, and it's just, you know, once again, this is just a guy in Minnesota. Um, my question is, so are you reaching out to the international guys as well, more than, uh, you know, as well as the American guys? Because it seems to be in the Dominican Republic and a lot of the Latin American countries, um the information going to those guys about today in real time of what's going on with, uh, you know, with playing and are they not playing? Are they going to the, you know, to the complex or whatever? Um, are you reaching out to those guys as well? Yeah, with, without a doubt. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to remember what those guys are going through. You know, American guys have it rough, but a lot of, a lot of those guys have, you know, even rougher. And, and some of my best friends in, uh, in baseball, uh, we're from the Dominican, we're from Venezuela, and uh, you know I'll never forget my very first catch partner was a was a pitcher from Venezuela, and um, you know I'm, we were talking to him, and um, you know I asked him uh, about his family, and he told me about basically saving up to expand his family's house from a one bedroom house to a two bedroom house, and you know they had like seven of them living back home in this one bedroom house. And, you know, that just it really put it in perspective for me as to where he was coming from versus where I was coming from. Um, so, you know, it's without a doubt, you know, 40 percent of the minor leagues are, are Latino now. And, and absolutely, we have to reach out to those guys. It's, um, you know, communication is somewhat difficult because, um, you know, WhatsApp is probably the, the best way to, to, to talk to them now. Okay. Uh, a lot of them are on in Instagram. So actually just the the actual means of communication can be difficult sometimes, you know, put aside the, the language barrier, uh, the actual means of communication can, can be more difficult, but without a doubt, we have to reach out to those guys. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry to laugh. And we lost you there for a minute. I, you know, using Instagram and messaging is huge and God, thank God for Google translates because Google translates as well. Just, uh, it helps us so much. Obviously all all, all of us have dealt with so much stress over the past few months in the midst of this pandemic too. And, and then to, to see a guy, yeah, that uh, just wants to help out and uh, do what he's been able to do. It's, it's, it's been incredible, but you know, and the, 
at the, at the same time, in the long run, you know, what we're working for is hopefully someday in the future there won't be a need, right. you know, for a program like Adopt a Minor Leaguer. You know, hopefully MLB does the right thing, treats these guys as employees, takes care of them the way they should be, and, you know, we don't have to have a GoFundMe uh, for each minor league player. That. You know, it's funny because my wife and I, and we, I tell this almost every time we talk to someone, uh, my wife and I want to move to a small minor league town and be a host family. Like we're in California. I can't retire in California no matter how long I work at where I work. Um, but in a way, I kind of don't want to do that because if, you know, if they're still using host families, then that means they're not making enough money to pay for rent. You know what I mean? Uh, they're not – maybe they'll have five or six guys to a place, and that's not right. But um, it's kind of funny how I, I, I try to work that through in my own life and go like, God, you know, I really want to be a host family. I love having you know, ballplayers around. But then again, if I'm needed in the future to be a host family, that's kind of a bad. We haven't grown as an organization, or you know, the organization or MLB hasn't grown, and we still have to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think you should shoot for a college wood bat league. Maybe, maybe shoot for that instead. We could do um, that. We could do that. Yeah, you know, hope, hopefully you don't have the need for that because yeah, it's it's a similar situation. I stayed with host families when I was playing. They were awesome people. I'm forever indebted to them. Um, but why are we asking random people from the community to take in professional athletes? You know, they're, I was two steps from the major leagues in double A and, and, you know, playing in front of thousands of people and signing autographs after the game. And then I, you know, get back in my host mom's minivan and sleep in the, on the futon in the basement then each night. <laughs> hey, real quick before we move on, did you play any winter ball? You were talking about the winter, uh, you know, the Dominican guys. Did you play any winter ball? I, I I didn't. There was a. Ch I had a chance to go to the Mexican uh, Winter League uh, one year, and uh, was on uh, on my way to the airport, and they called me and said they'd sign somebody better. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah. which sometimes but, happens. Right. <laughs> Before we we move off the topic, I want to point out that the 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 Latin players oftentimes they're not just paying their own way; they're also supporting a family back home. They're giving money to their parents. Um, and then a big chunk of what they draw winds up going to the Buscones that wound up recruiting them to get them, you know, get them out their opportunity. Uh, so the people, the host families that host them, they understand that we've become familiar with Lake Elsinore storm booster club. And so they've, they've explained that to us that, yeah, these guys, they're getting, you know, whatever, a thousand dollars a month, but even then, they're sending half of that home, and they're trying to live off five hundred dollars a month. So it's like doubly as hard for them. Yeah, it, it really is, and um, that's not that's something I never lost sight of, without a doubt. Um, you know, I, I think back to my my playing years, and um, it wasn't uncommon. Yeah, you know, like I said, I had some really close friends who were from the Dominican and, and Venezuelan, and they'd they'd uh, they'd invite me over for dinner sometimes, and I'd go over to their house and. Um, now, there'd be eight of them staying in a three-bedroom apartment, just, you know, crammed on air mattresses everywhere. Um, and, you know, it was it, it was really sad. But, you know, I, I always did everything I could to, um, you know, support them and try to make them feel welcome. Um, in baseball, in a clubhouse, especially at the lower levels, there are often cliques that develop. And, uh, you know, I, I always tried to bridge that gap as much as I could. So you talked about unionizing. How uh, how would that look? Is there a God? I hate to say that because is there like a union light, or is there is there a way not necessarily uh, unionize, but maybe confederize, or is there a way we can that that can happen where it's not so daunting a task, or even you know where Major League Baseball would just crush it? Yeah, you know that's that, that, that's sort of what we're trying to do with advocates for minor leaguers, where you know as a nonprofit we we cannot be a union, and that that cannot be our goal. But what we can do is we can start organizing guys under our umbrella. And, you know, right now, just in a few months, we already have, you know, 550 guys who have joined onto our movement, uh, which we're, you know, pretty happy about in, in just a couple months. And, you know, we can we can start getting guys under one umbrella and start speaking with a collective voice for them. And, um, you know, starting these fan groups and allowing fans to advocate for, for them as well. And, you know, even though it's not a union and you can't collectively bargain, Right. At least you have somebody speaking out on on be, on their behalf because you know right now um, in one individual minor league player just does not have the power by himself right. to speak out and advocate for himself and you know you need a bigger group uh, that that can start doing that and you know and hopefully we can make make some um, 
we're, we're working on making some partnerships in the, in the wider labor movement too. Uh, there are all kinds of other models out there right now advocating for, for workers uh, where it doesn't always have to be a union nowadays. So in the past, what has stood in the way of the minor leagues unionizing? Yeah, you know, I wish um, the great Marvin Miller was around so I could ask him that. Um, <laughs> now, I've only read one quote on that from him in an interview long ago. Uh, somebody asked him that question, and, um, you know, he basically said that, you know, he had to make a choice, and he had to focus on his core constituency then, and, you know, organizing the major league players was hard enough at the time, you know, they... MLBPA itself had been around since the 1950s, but it didn't really become a union until Marvin Mar- Mar- Miller came along in 1966. And, you know, it was under his leadership uh, that, that, that it became uh, a true union. And then, then two years later in 1968, they achieved the first collective bargaining agreement in, in all of professional sports, which is just, you know, an amazing accomplishment in a very short amount of time. And so while he's focusing on that, uh, you know, bringing in the minor league players, it, it would have been too much to, to buy, buy to offer him. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just a historical anomaly uh, since then uh, that it hasn't happened. Uh, maybe it's a factor of you know, there's so many guys, they're spread out, um, they're also young. Uh, fear is certainly a factor too. Um, but there are, other, there are other models out there uh, that show that it can work. Minor league hockey, for instance, has a union. You know, the equivalent of, of AAA and minor league hockey, uh, they're unionized. And the starting salary is almost $50,000 a year. And the average salary is around $90,000 a year. We have AAA baseball players who are making less than $12,000 an entire year. Like, you know, I mean, $40,000, dollars a year for a AAA baseball player, that seems pretty reasonable. And, I mean, if they can do that in hockey... Um, you know, surely you can find a way to do it in baseball too. And you know, we have a minor league hockey team here in uh, in San Diego, and if they can live off that here in San Diego, I mean, it's doable in Albuquerque. You know, yeah. <laughs> so the, yeah, but a lot of these guys, by the time they make it to AAA, they're supporting a family. They've got right. a wife and kids, right. and and they're trying to figure out. And then the wife's traveling with them. So how are you supposed to support a family, let alone one person, on twelve thousand dollars a year? That's 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 a joke. Yeah, you can't. Um, you know, by the time I got to the upper levels, I was married, and my wife stayed back home in St. Louis while I traveled around. And you know, she's working a, a full time job, and um, and she's good at her job. I wanted her to be be doing that that too. But she had to be doing it because you know, who else was going to pay her bills? I sure wasn't on on my salary. Right. So that speaks back to the the privilege, the you know, the the glass ceiling that you know, kids that don't have the wealth to. Be, come from a family of wealth to be able to participate in these camps and get all the advanced training and all this, they have limited opportunities. Well, then what happens to the guy that gets drafted signs for $5,000 or, uh, you know, undrafted free agent, whatever, and they've got to get by on that. So how are they supposed to train in the off season? Like you were saying earlier, and then you've got, you know, the, the kid with wealthy parents that can support everything they can afford, you know, signing up for driveline and doing all that kind of stuff. There's, there's a privilege that doesn't, it isn't based on athletic ability. It's based on what financial system they have backing them up. And that's, that's unfair. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's somewhat rigged right now, uh, towards the privileged guys. And, um, it's, it's really unfortunate. It speaks to a larger issue in our society, obviously too. Um, it's, it's a very big issue that starts when kids are very young. Um, you know, every, everything's a select team now, uh, travel ball, you pay thousands of dollars for, and you know, not everybody can, can afford that uh, starting when you're really young. Yeah. I think back to when I was in little league and it was, it was run by volunteers. It was parents and people that were associated with the league for years. And you, so the snack shack needed to be remodeled and they'd go to home Depot, buy all the materials and swing hammers all weekend to get it done. Yeah. And you know what? We got a snow cone after the game too. Yeah. There's an innocence to it. I saw a scouting report on 12 year olds the other day and it's just like, what is going on here? You're talking about a kid's arm slot and he's got late life on his fastball. Come on. He's 12 years old. He should be worried about, you know, going and getting pizza afterwards and having fun. That's, that's, that's not what baseball's about. And, and heaven forbid he play a different sport, uh, during the winter. <laughs> right. So what do you, so what, you know, now that kind of everything's really shut down. Um, 
has it been able to give you a, a chance to focus on anything or is there, how are you helping players now? Yeah. So, you know, we stepped into the mess that has been the coronavirus and, um, you know, that actually accelerated our launch a little bit because um, we realized we had to get out there because, uh, you know, what, what we were, what were you, what you were seeing is, um, you know, and this is, again, speaks to a broader issue in society. Uh, major leaguers, since they had representation, you know, the union was bargaining on their behalf as soon as COVID-19 hit and trying to figure out a way to support them. Minor leaguers didn't have any of that. And, you know, they were just left scrambling where guys didn't know, you know where they were supposed to go um, and uh, how to take care of themselves, uh, what, what, they, what, what they, they should be doing from a financial standpoint. And so, you know, that's, that's why we, we got out there and, and started advocating right away. And, you know, one of the first things that we started advocating for and that we're still advocating for is, was for the continuation of those $400 week stipends. Because initially, um, you know, MLB said that they would commit to doing it, and then they extended it through May. But then, you know, no teams, only a couple teams had committed to doing it through the end of the season. And so, you know, right away, that became our major issue that we were advocating around, is making sure that all teams extended those stipends. Um, because, you know, guys were counting on that. Um, you know, they were still asking, and still today, they're asking guys to continue to train. They're continue to, to continuing to work out, uh, you know, as, as if they could be called upon at any time. You know, the, uh, until, you know, just a week or two ago, they didn't know whether the season was going to be canceled or not. So they continue to try to stay in midseason shape. And even now, a lot of them have been told that, uh, you know what, if there's a coronavirus outbreak in our 60-man pool, we're going to have to draw from somebody, so you guys need to stay hot. Right, right. So there are a lot of guys that are still training right now uh, in the midst of all this uncertainty. <laughs> God, what a, what, you know, what a nightmare. We, and we follow a lot of minor leaguers, not only just the Padre guys, but all over. And, you know, you see them in the backyard throwing, you know, you see them hitting at their local high school. You just, you just see them trying to scratch any way to get better. Um, yeah, building their own their own pitching mound in their backyard. Building their own like weight room essentially out of you know, <laughs> cement. I don't I don't know if you follow Eric Sim, but Eric yeah. Sim has like the, the oh yeah oh my god. It's like, Yo, know, I hear Donovan laughing, but I mean this stuff makes me want to cry. It, I mean it's it is it it's, really is it's borderline criminal. And I mean I I don't want to offend anybody. We like to remain in in organizations' good graces and all this, but it's not just one team. It's all a major league yeah. baseball. So it's nice to see that, like the Blue Jays, they committed to paying a little bit more. And then across baseball, they're all committing to play a little bit more. Um, yeah, I. So we've become friends with Emily Walden, and we had Eric Sim on our show at, at one point. And it, I feel like this recent surge of of this push to draw attention to this started with work that people yeah. like Eno Saris and Emily Walden did uh, to try to start publicizing this, to speak for the people that can't speak for themselves. As, as you noted, they've got an opportunity, but they need to keep their head down and be quiet. Otherwise, that opportunity is going to disappear just because they were trying to you know, get a little help so they can get by. Real quick before you answer that, wasn't it you that wrote the article back in Sporting News uh, like, for, like in 2014? That really that kind of 2010. Broke. I'm sorry, 2010. That long, yeah. And then it didn't really it's come back up until Eric Sim and then you know yeah. Sarah said something. It was it was not a popular topic back then. I think a lot of journalists were even somewhat um, you know wary to write about it. Um, and you know I think there was general sentiment around the game too of and you hear a lot of big leaguers that used to say this all the time. Well, you know that's just the training ground that the minor leagues are. And it wasn't really until, you know, people like Emily and, you know, other, other writers around the game put it in perspective as to what those low salaries meant. What does it mean for a human being to only make $6,000 for an entire year? You know, what does it mean to, you know, be sleeping on an air mattress night after night, um, you know, when you aren't sleeping on buses, obviously. Um, and so, you know, humanizing the story was was a huge thing and, and that's that's the, that's the thing that you know Emily and, and other writers too you know there have been uh, in the past few years you know just a, a, a huge amount of support for this cause and it's it's as somebody who's been uh, you know working on it for a long time it's it's been you know just really nice to see um, and you know it's uh, it's it's really cool to see so are you 
are you when you advocate for these guys? Are you calling organizations, going, "Hey, are you writing letters to the to the owners? Are you writing letters to the GM? Hey, like you guys really need to do this." Yes, yeah, so, uh, a few different things. One thing is we keep a, essentially a running tally on our on our Twitter as to who's committed to paying these stipends and, and who hasn't. You know, asking people to uh, tag their favorite team and then let them know that hey, this is something you, you need to do. You need to extend these until the end of the year. Um, yeah, we, we wrote a letter to the commissioner, too, uh, about it. Um, you know, privately, we have, behind the scenes, helped uh, helped minor league players do some, you know, write some letters in private as well uh, that don't get posted in, in social media, but behind the scenes, essentially just teaching them how to, how to politely advocate for themselves, right. too, in a way that, um, you know, isn't going to get them in trouble, uh, but, you know, shows that... Um, that they believe in themselves, so that they realize that they have worth, and that it's okay uh, to ask for a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we really appreciate you coming on, Garrett. But well, <laughs> I, I'm curious about what's been able to happen on the political side, because I understand that you've worked with legislators to try to, because um, you know, there's the antitrust agreement, there's the bill that was passed last year. Um, so can you speak to any of that? The Save America's Pastime Act was one of the longest weeks of my life. And you're talking to somebody who led all of minor league baseball in losses as a pitcher in one year. So, <laughs> so that, that puts things in perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a direct response to our lawsuit. And, you know, they spent years lobbying for it. And their first effort, which was the public effort, didn't go anywhere. You know, the thing got introduced and saw the light of day and, and, People rightly destroyed it because it was so deceptive. Really, you're calling it the Save America's Pastime Act? Come on. Right. Um, and so it wasn't going anywhere. It didn't even get a committee hearing at all. And then, you know, one Sunday night, I get a call from a Washington Post reporter asking me for a comment about it because it snuck into page 1,967 of an omnibus spending bill that had to pass within 48 hours. Had nothing to do That's, with that bill. Right. No, it has nothing to do with government spending at all. And so, you know, we're, we're talking uh, to, to legislators and, and trying to, you know, do what we can to get it out of there. But at that point, you know, once they sneak it in at that late of an hour, um, and if they don't pass that bill, the government literally shuts down then. Right. Like, you know, are they really going to shut down the government over, you know, something affecting minor league baseball players? Well, you know, obviously not. Uh, so, you know, there was, was nothing that we could, we could do at that point. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, that was, a, that was a long, long week for sure. But, uh, you know, and then they've, the, the thing about it though, is, um, you know, our, our case continues to live on. And the reason why is because we can still use the state laws, you know, states are allowed to go, allowed to go above and beyond, uh, the minimum wage requirements of, of, of at the federal level. And, yeah. you know, of course you see that all around the country now with, uh, California having a much higher minimum wage, and um, even more conservative states like Florida and Arizona have much much higher minimum wages now. And so, you know, that's how we're pressing forward with our with our with our case now. And behind the scenes, they've started lobbying in those states uh, at, at this point too. Um, and then, of course, they do have their 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 real treasure though is that antitrust exemption. Which um, you know, if we could ever find a way to to tackle that in some way, um, you know, that's that's long overdue. And you're seeing, I mean, it's, and it really is, it's, it's hurting baseball. It's hurting yeah. the product of baseball at this point. It's hurting the minor leagues. I mean, that's how they're able to force through this contraction that they're forcing through. Um, you know, that's how they're able to keep salaries so low. They're able to collude on them and, and suppress them way below the market value. Now, that's another thing I think that a lot of people don't realize is, um, you know, whether you, no matter your politics at all, no matter you know, how you look at things politically, this minor league salary issue should you know upset you regardless because right. you know if you are on the left side of things it's deplorable to treat workers like that if you're on the right side of things it's deplorable because it is the exact opposite of a free market right you know you are using an antitrust exemption that no other industry has to collude together on salaries and suppress them way below what their market value would be right it's government and overreach on the right and then it would be on the left, it's like exploitation of labor. So you have both sides of the aisle, and with contraction—sorry to interrupt you there—but and with contraction, you have 
you know, you had the same legislators, you had the same congressmen voting for the Save America's Pastime Act and then then writing letters to Major League Baseball because they're contracting, you know, because they're taking away their minor league team. So, you you know, you're, they're trying to have it both ways. And that is a whole other podcast that we can have on. Yeah, well, you seem to have a little bit of momentum when Bernie Sanders was uh, was advocating for you for a little bit. There. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, Bernie's Bernie's camp uh, yeah, called us up and said, "Hey, um, you know, we want a couple players at a at a rally in Iowa." And I was like, "Okay, uh, hey, we can do that." <laughs> we drove up in the drove up in the snow, and uh, yeah, and um, it was it was a pretty cool event. I was just to see Bernie take some batting practice. He got in there and. Took some hacks, and uh, you know, luckily I wasn't the one throwing to him. I, I would have thrown that sinker in there. And uh, you know. <laughs> but Vermont uh, Snake Monsters, I think, are in Vermont. I think it's a short season team. He he was the mayor of Burlington when yeah. they got minor league baseball, yeah. and so it's something that that means a little bit more to him than some other legislators. Yeah, and the cool thing uh, the cool thing with him though is you know he connected the dots between. Not just you know the the minor league owners and minor league teams, but also the exploitation of minor league players and realizing that it all worked hand in hand and all worked together. You know, and it's you know, and the, Joe Public goes, but they're playing the baseball game. It's their dream. They're chasing their dream. They're you know they're supposed to suffer. Well, they still have to pay the bills, right? And right. so, if you've got professional athletes, quote unquote, and they're sleeping on air mattresses and living on Top Ramen and Little Caesars five dollar hot and ready. Yeah, how is that? How is that supporting the development of a professional athlete? And then they they're struggling to pay their phone bills. They've got to pay their car insurance. They've got to they got to cover all this stuff. Oh, and there's also student loans that these guys have to cover. And so it's well, and the car insurance it, it, they're they're at the age where it's really expensive to have car insurance because you're not the 26. You know, once you get turned 26, you. Know. Yeah, and, and some people say, well, we'll go get a different job. Well, well, no, they're among the best in the world at what right. they do. This is the job that they should be doing. Right. It's it's just that for some reason, um, you know, they've colluded on salaries and, and suppressed them so much. You know, I, I remember in Double A, I asked the Bat Boy how much he was making a day, and he said $55 a game. Uh. Well, he's, he's working about four hours, so that means he's making about 12 bucks an hour. Meanwhile, I was making about $4 an hour. <laughs> Oh my so that boy was literally making more per game than I was. So you got pretty. You have a cool shirt on. Is that the that's the that's the advocates for minor yeah, leaguers? Yeah, so right? this is our this is our logo. Advocates for minor leaguers. Uh, so yeah, we've we uh, we have merchandise that we uh, sell through our our website, which is uh, milbadvocates.com. Uh, uh, and um, yeah, it's um, I, I feel like they're cool logos. I, I like them. Hell yeah! So they can so so fans can also they can buy merch to help out. Is there a donation page there as well? Donation page as well, um, and yeah, and, and and then there's you know reach out to us if you're interested. Everybody has skills, and um, you know everybody can be an advocate. And and like I said, at some point we will start uh, doing some fan advocacy groups, and um, you know everybody has a has a has a can have a role to play in this. Fantastic. We're gonna tweet this out to other other fan bases as well. So we really appreciate you coming on. But let's have some fun now. It's like it's been. You know, for, for us, and I know for Roy as well, it's such an emotional issue, and it can be so frustrating, and you just want to throw rocks at windows to feel better. Um, what, you know, so what team did you grow up liking, or what's your team now? Yeah, so I grew up in a tiny town in southeast Missouri that's called Advance. Spelled Advance, but since it's, you know, almost in the Ozarks, uh, it's Advance instead of Advance. Like Prescott. Well, 12, 1,200 people, no stoplights at all or anything. And so we were close to St. Louis. And so, of course, I, I grew up a Cardinals fan then. And I'm still in St. Louis today. You know, that that brings to, my, to mind, there's somebody else that we know from that region of Missouri. Um, I understand you knew Jace Tingler at a younger age. That's right. Yes. Uh, so Jace and I played at Mizzou together. Um, and, you know, so we were both at the University of Missouri. Um Good dude. I love Jace. I have nothing. You you cannot pry anything negative out of me about Jace. We're not looking for it. And, and you know, what we've got as fans listening to him, you know, I've been in the presser with him at the winter meetings, genuine, down to earth, speaks the truth. Like a lot of managers will just, you know, just give you the sound bites and just give you the runaround. You know, I, I believe what he says is how he feels and, and what he thinks. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. Um, he, you know, he's put into a, he's a, 
he could has a really good chance with the team that he has and the team that is just you know bubbling up from the from the minor leagues to be on a run that is just unparalleled really in in Padres history. So we hope he does really well and we think he's going to do really well. Um, so there's that. What impresses me is his ability to relate to the players. He seems like the kind of guy that's going to connect. I feel like Andy Green had a difficult, had a, a barrier there. Um, I, I don't know what that was, but Tingler seems like somebody that is going to be able to level with these guys. Yeah, I mean, he, at, at Mizzou, he's you know he was he was our team leader. He um, he's a hardworking guy. I mean, he was an undersized guy who absolutely got the most out of his game. And uh, you know, there's there's always a lot of respect for for those types of guys. And then, you know, from a managing standpoint, I mean, he started at the very, very bottom when he was with the Rangers. You know, he, he told him he wanted to get into coaching. And so he spent a couple of years at their Dominican complex coaching in, in the Dominican. He didn't even speak Spanish before he went over there, no, did he? Not at all. And, and, of course, he became fluent pretty quickly. And, you know, that's, 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 that's huge in today's game, especially with a younger team like, like the Padres. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's huge. He's, he's, he's able to communicate. He's always been a very good communicator. In fact, in fact I think his degree at, at the University of Missouri was in communication. <laughs> you know, I've been in the uh, restaurant industry for 25 And, you know, just a good dude, hardworking guy, knows baseball. Um, and yeah, she should really relate to, to that team really well. You know, I was saying, I, uh, I've been in the restaurant industry for 25 years in, in San Diego, and I can still only order a burrito that sounds like I know Mexican or Spanish. You know, I just never took the time to learn it. And, uh, you know, for him to learn it so quickly and still, you know, I, I think it would have gone a long way with me. I usually do my I work to show these guys that I know what I'm doing. Um, but having that language, um, bridge, have it have it bridged is is huge okay so let's talk about you for a little bit you're home and then we'll let you out of here some corona questions so so what so you've been at home right are you working at home do you go are you both working from home you and your wife yeah I, i've been in this this same spot you're seeing me right now for like six straight months uh, which is also you can you can tell i haven't shaved for about six months so all the pictures we have of you are of clean shaven. You're much younger. Oh, yeah. I think the hairline just, is actually a little bit. Uh, just, I've, I've definitely lost some hair uh, since all this has gone on. Without <laughs> a doubt. I've, I've grown it on the chin and, and seem to be losing it up top. Yes. Without a doubt. All right. What are you guys watching? Are you guys watching any oh, shows? Gosh. Um, we've been, are you, do you know the show Shits Creek? Oh, my wife was a junkie. Yeah. She loves it. Yeah. So, that, that escaped us until just the past couple of months. And so we've been working through that because it's like, we need some, something light, you know, at the yeah. end of our days right now. Yeah. So it's a good comedy. It's also, you know, those, those shorter shows. Sometimes, I mean, I, I do a lot of do, I work hard and then we put our kids down and we only have a limited amount of time. We're tired. And so to be honest, an hour show can be too long for me because right. I'm old. Right. I'm getting old. I'm an old man now. I really, <laughs> Hey, I wasn't. I almost didn't make twenty one. I'm I'm fifty now, so I, I'm right there with you. You know the other shows. You you got to kind of who's who's doing who. What's going on here? Um, my you know, shameless plug. My wife has a um, has a podcast she does with a local uh, former radio guy called Crossing Streams. So if you ever go on your uh, little podcast thing and find Crossing Streams, um, it's uh, Craig Elston and Lydia Lorraine. He also has other guests. Uh, and they talk about shows. They don't give away secrets, but they talk about the good shows that are on that you can watch, and uh, it's real fun. What? So, have you taught yourself any new skill? I have not. And speaking of Spanish, I keep telling myself that I'm going to download, re-download because I, I had it for a long time. Duolingo, because uh, I, I my so I minored in Spanish in college, and then while I was playing, I used it all the time. Yeah. I just I don't use it as much as I, I used to and I'm getting rusty. And so, you know, I keep telling myself I'm going to, but no, I mean, the, I guess the new skill, I, I, I helped found a co-found a nonprofit. So that's <laughs> my, <laughs> okay. So who does the cooking in the house? Uh, it's a split. I, I have to, I have to be diplomatic about this. Come on. You're, you're as, my, my wife might listen to this. Come you can you can bring her into the conversation if you want. <laughs> I cook dinner tonight. How's that? Sound? Okay, yeah, I I, I I do most of cooking in, in our household. Um, what? Uh, God, you know, I do most of the dishes in our household. 
<laughs> I do most of the eating, that's for sure. So that means I also have to do most of the cooking. Look, I, I, we really appreciate you coming on. Lots of good stuff here. We're going to tweet this out, not only just to our Padres community, but we're going to reach out to all the other minor league, uh, all the other uh, affiliate, um, just all the other people that we know to get it out there to get some more awareness. Uh, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. No, it's, it's my pleasure, and uh, you know, thanks for uh, bringing awareness to this stuff. Absolutely.